Corporate Unplugged opens the door to a world of people transforming business. They share their dreams, their experiences, and what they would never give up. Hey everybody, this is Vesna Luca and you're listening to the Corporate Unplugged podcast for people shaping the future of business. On the show today, Matt Mullenweg, co-founder of WordPress and co-founder and CEO of Automatic. So Matt, welcome to my podcast. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. And I'm really grateful that our paths have crossed thanks to our joint friend, Adam Gazeli. He's, um, I only have gotten to know Adam in the past few years, but he's become a big part of my life and uh, it's learned so much from him. So I'm very glad he was able to connect us. Matt Mullenweg turned his early passion for blogging into a flourishing business and an unshakable idea that users should be able to share and tweak the code that powers their websites and that most of those tools should be free to use. As far back as college, Matt was collaborating with fellow coders to make blogging less clunky and more elegant and intuitive. And around 2005, he pitched the idea for WordPress to his bosses at CNET, but they turned him down. So... He launched the idea on his own, eventually tucking the service into an umbrella company called Automatic. And today, after many twists and turns, the company has nearly 2,000 employees and a valuation of $7 billion. WordPress powers more than 40% of the websites on the internet. Matt, it takes uh, courage to go against the status quo, and, and I think you, you did that. The big idea behind WordPress almost two decades ago, is, is very much about uh, sharing and, and freedom and, and bringing people together to collaborate online. So unconsciously, was this a start of a movement? I think WordPress was very much a continuation of a movement that was going on really before I was born. You know, when you look at the history of technology through the Unix movement, which then turned, of course, into open source software and Linux, through things like uh, Red Hat, etc., that, you know, that had been happening for decades. Basically, what WordPress did was take that open source model, this idea that the code really belongs to the people, everyone using it, that we can collaborate on it all over the world, and that it's free, not just in the sense of, not free like a, a beer, but also free as in freedom, free as in speech. And so there's, there's rights embedded in the software. So we took those ideas and, you know, we're doing them for publishing software, originally just for blogs. You know, it started pretty modest, but then it expanded where WordPress could power your entire website. And that's where we are today. I remember when I, I did a podcast with Seth Godin, and he said, the two things that help us dance with fear are trust and uh, belief. Trust because it's if you, if you think that people have your back, it's way easier. And belief because it's the bridge between us and the future. So how do you dance with, with fear? Because I'm, I'm, I'm sure that during this journey of yours, uh, there has been moments of, of, of hesitation and, and, and fear. It's funny, fear is not a word that I think of or associate a lot. When I think of times, maybe when I felt fear, it's often a sense of being out of control. So typically a solution for that would be like to slow down <laughs> or like do some sort of check-in or phone a friend, you know, talk to friends. Like basically, how does your support and trust network like help you get back into a sense of control or safety. But I can't say it's a word that I've thought about a lot. So we'll stick with the poetic things that Seth said as the canonical answer to that. What about the network you have now around you? How do you 
when you sometimes, you know, want to double check your course of direction or whatever, do, do you have a, a group of people close to you that you discuss with? Yeah, well, I'm very lucky that uh, my mom and sister are still alive and just really life, literally lifelong supporters <laughs> from the day I came out. I've had a lot of love and support from both. So, and also, you know, they're, they're strong Texas women. We <laughs> grew up in a family, which is, you know, people who aren't scared to share their opinion will call you out if, if they think you're not doing the right thing. I only had one grandparent, a grandmother, and she was the matriarch of the family in so many ways. So like, I think being able to grow up with high integrity, strong characters, if you will, opinionated folks <laughs> is uh, such a huge blessing. And so that, I say family is a big part of it. And then over time, you know, I've been lucky in that some of my friends from high school are still friends. I went to arts high school, so we developed a lot of bonds there. So we were like playing music or doing other musical theater or different things. And so those, I think when you've known a friend for decades and you start to see each other through so many different things, they're able to give you some advice or some counsel or even just a, a listening ear in a way that feels different from someone who might have met you more recently. So I think about that a lot, like how how to really cherish those friendships and really make sure that even though like I might live in a different city now or something like that, I'm still keeping in touch and being a good friend to them as well. And do you still play saxophone? Not too much. I can, but I don't play too much anymore. Matt, I was thinking about code. You know, code is like a central thing in your life, obviously. I wonder what is the code to understand who Matt is, you know? Is it to understand what your passion is and what is that? Now, that's a good question, I guess. You know, I publish a lot. So I think that the to understand me, just like, you know, read my blog, Twitter, Tumblr, listen to podcasts like this one. I really do share kind of everything that's on my mind. So I, there's not a lot that's like behind the curtain that's being hidden. So yeah, that's probably the best way to understand me. I think also probably just the, the philosophy of open source. So which is kind of around sharing as well. I feel like I'm uh, in service to open source even more than WordPress or Automatic or you know other things that I've been involved in because they're all a subset of it. And I just believe as more and more of our lives become governed by technology, it's important that that technology, that we have agency over it, that we have are able to influence it, change it, control it. So uh, open source is, is definitely kind of the big thing in my life. And so if you understand open source, you'll get a lot of why I do what I do and why our companies do what they do in terms of releasing code or giving extra control to users. What, what is the future you would like to see, like in 10 years time, for example? How does it look like? What's happening there? Who's there? Well, I mean, personally, I would love for the people in my life to still be there. I think that would be a real sign of success. Of course, life happens, you know, and people, I have lost friends along the journey so far to cancer or illness or things like that. But Hopefully that can serve as a reminder just to cherish the time we have together. Professionally, I would love to still be working on WordPress and at Automatic and that for our products to have re reached an even larger portion in the online population and people who are just coming online. You know, we have probably a billion people coming online in the next 10 years with broadband, more advanced devices, you know, the kind of march of technology is hard to counter. And also just exciting to think, you know, how much is going to be, how much creativity is going to be unlocked in the world when all of a sudden another billion people have access to the Wikipedia and all humanity's information and Coursera and all these sorts of things. So I think a lot about how do we make our products accessible 
both in terms of the language that they being available in people's local languages, being low cost or no cost, so that people can use it regardless of their economic background or, or where they're coming from. And if we do that right, I think that we can get a vast majority of the web on open source software, which also means that the web will be probably a little weirder, probably a little more unique, like more individualistic, which I, I really love. Like I actually do use and really like Twitter and Facebook and these other things, but it's also a little tragic that everyone looks the same there. You know, they kind of force you into these cookie cutter profiles. You can, you know, customize a little bit like your header image or something, your avatar. But gosh, like think of how kids decorate their rooms or their lockers at school or how like I love visiting people's homes just to see like what how what is what does that look like? How does their personality and passions like translate into what they care about and how they sort of set up their place where they live? You know, we talked about Adam Ghazali. He's obsessed with lighting <laughs> and the lighting at his home is so good. He has like lights you've never seen anywhere else before. And so that's that's just interesting. And so I would love for people's online presences to still be as accessible and easy to use as like a Twitter or Facebook, but allow just a much wider range of expression than is currently allowed by these sort of cookie cutter social networks. That's part of why we bought Tumblr and I've been working on Tumblr a lot. It's of course very core to the very beginning of WordPress and WooCommerce, which is an e-commerce platform. We just wanna make things that like can represent the uniqueness and creativity of and dynamic range of humanity. And when is that gonna start happening, you think? I think it's happening. You know, we've got 40 sites on WordPress so far. You you don't know necessarily when you're on a WordPress website because they can look so different. They can be so customized. Tumblr is interesting because, you know, when you're in the app, it kind of looks the same a little bit, although we're trying to allow some more colors and more customization. But when you visit one of the blogs, uh, you know, something.tumblr.com, they can look totally different. They love full customization. And so that's actually really cool. And I want to, I kind of want to figure out how to bridge that because it's so easy on the web in the browser. It's very hard to do that in an app. And so what's the way that we can bridge like that creativity of expression with how people are accessing like Tumblr content through the app primarily. And so that's what brings us to projects like Gutenberg and other things, which is kind of like our new editor. It's a block-based editor that allows a lot of rich kind of layout control images. Think like really cool articles you've read on like New York Times or The Verge or something where they have like a completely custom design for the article. It's basically a tool that allows anyone to do that. And we just started to build that into Tumblr. And I'm just really excited how we can allow more of that creativity of expression with, with the constraints of the platforms as they exist today. I'm asking from this kind of infinite mindset perspective, you know, what are, are you also collaborating with your competitors in order to kind of, you know, move forward fa more fast together? Or how does it work in your... I would happily... But our competitors are, are pretty competitive. <laughs> <laughs> like Squarespace or Wix was actually powered by WordPress. That'd be awesome. Gutenberg, we actually released under a license even more open than WordPress so that it could be embedded and used by other applications. So we started to do it ourselves with the journaling app day one and Tumblr. Drupal, which is a competitive open source CMS, has a Gutenberg project. Yeah, if we do it right, it could be used by really anything because it doesn't... With WordPress, when you extend it or use its code, you need to share your extensions as open source. It's kind of the, the rule. It's called copyleft as opposed to copyright. But with Gutenberg, you could use it and embed it without having to share. So that's on purpose. So it could be embedded in MailChimp or Squarespace or any one of our proprietary competitors or partners. 
I, I, th- I always think it's interesting to understand, you know, what are the kind of main transformational points in people's lives, to what have influenced them the most, because we learn so much from them and from listening to others. So would you share one or two of those in, in your life? Definitely being accepted into the arts high school. We went to the high school for the performing visual arts in Houston. Kind of like you've seen the movie Fame. It's like that in Houston. But just a magical environment. Very small, you know, four or 500 kids. But everyone would spend two or three hours a day on the art area. And there's dancers, there's artists, there's vocalists, orchestra, bands. You know, I was in jazz. So that kind of environment was just uh, so generative and so creative. And also just very open. Kids would really, there were very few clicks or anything in the school. It was really kind of more about your art area than it was about, you know, your background or where you lived or anything like that. So that was definitely pivotal for me. I think a lot about, you know, coming to San Francisco, my first visit here and just falling in love with the city and that connecting. I had a small tribe in Houston of super nerds <laughs> around like Linux or Wi-Fi or Palm Pilots or whatever. We had a, a lot of groups I was a member of, but then in San Francisco, it was just like, it was the oxygen in the air. <laughs> you go to every coffee shop. There's, you know, people who I followed for years on the web who were creating really the innovative technologies. I came in 2004. So it was kind of in the post.com crash, which was really a beautiful time to come because people who were more um, mercenaries <laughs> had left <laughs> when the, the money was gone. And so the folks who were left were really the missionaries. They were the ones who truly believed in the potential of the web, what we were trying to co-create together. So that definitely put my life on a different path as well. And I listened to some interviews where they said that like 2007, you two years after you started the company, you were only 23 years old and you own more than half of the company and the rest was owned by investors and the CEO. And you got a big, big offer to acquire Automatic, the company behind WordPress, but you turned it down. And you're, I guess you're very happy for that today, of course, but, but what was going through your mind then? Because you're 23. Yeah. I, I mean, the simplest question that really clarified it for me is someone was like, well, if you had $100 million, what would you want to do with it? <laughs> Money is like a means to an end. It's not like you don't you have to swim around in it like Scrooge McDuck. So what would you want to do? And I was like, well, like, I guess I'd you know, get my mom home, maybe get a cool car or something like that. But like that, you're done in a couple hundred thousand. <laughs> I was like, okay, what about the rest? And I kind of realized that what I would want to do was exactly what I was doing. I'd want to you know, build software that people use all over the world with a team of people I really loved working with, you know, kind of doing the best work of our careers, like really pushing our edges. I want to travel the world and meet WordPress users. <laughs> I was like, well, I can do this now. So why, why don't we keep doing it? And, you know, also the investors, I give them so much credit, really said, well, if you're saying no to this, what are you saying yes to? And we're like, okay, well, we want to build something really large. And they did a funding round. So we, we you know, originally we just raised $1 million and we raised an additional 10 basically saying like, okay, let's really go for it. And uh, yeah, that was, I, in hindsight, the right decision. But there's also tons of examples where, where you're like, oh, they really should have sold. So it's, it's, I think, hard to know at the time. I'm glad I did it. Could have easily gone the other way. So I, I don't know if that's advice for anyone. Sometimes you should sell. But for me, it just didn't feel right at the time and for the team as well. So it was a, definitely a conversation we all had. And today you have a team of 2,000 or so people combined in, in spread all over, maybe in 100 countries and so on. But what, what connects them 
today and what connected them already back then? Like what, what is the core in this, let's call it culture that you, that you together with them created and that is still so alive? I mean, first and foremost, just a love of the internet, <laughs> I think is pretty common. You know, we're a very online company and our headquarters has always been the internet because from the very beginning, the first employee was in Blarney in Ireland. <laughs> the second was in Vermont. Third was in, you know, Seattle. Like we were already always spread out quite widely from the beginning. Second is a shared mission. So, you know, we, we have a belief in open source. There's actually an automatic creed. If you go to automatic, A-U-T-O-M-A-T-T-I-C.com slash creed, that encapsulates a lot of our beliefs. And it's interesting because it's all written in the first person. Like, I will never stop learning. I believe open source is the most powerful idea of our generation, like these sorts of things. And we actually put it on an offer letter. So when you get an offer letter from us, you know, you sign it. And so after all the legalese, it says the creed. And so you're actually signing your name under the creed. So, you know, this philosophy, you know, not, not carved in stone. It could change over time. But every single person who works at Automatic has signed their name next to this. And it really helps because we have disagreements and everything, just like any relationship, any company. It really kind of helps center and bring us back sometimes when we uh, find ourselves rowing in different directions. How do we get back on the same alignment? And how much are you involved in operational things today? Yeah, my job changes a lot. So I'm the CEO of the company. So technically, the buck stops with me. I report to the board. Occasionally, I'll, I've run things myself for long periods of time. Like I ran WordPress.com for like 14 years. And occasionally, I'll dip back in. So for example, since February, I've actually been full-time, I guess additional full-time, <laughs> also being CEO of Tumblr, because we wanted to, uh, the business had been struggling a little bit. So we wanted to really turn it around. So I really like being able to move from the high level to the very low level. You know, sometimes even going into code or database schemas to just really understand the people, the parts of the business, the customers, everything. I love doing customer support. <laughs> so I, you know, but I can't, obviously we're so broad. I can't do that for everything all the time. So I'm very much sort of picking or being told by my colleagues, like where I'm needed and where I feel like I can have the largest impact. And then whatever I'm doing, I try to find someone who's way better at it than me and then pass it on, right? That's how you scale. So I definitely, besides, besides perhaps, you know, working on the culture of Automatic, there's nothing I, I think I'll do forever. It, you know, the job will change and shift depending on what's most important, what's needed, and um, what my colleagues tell me that they want from me. And what do you think about, I mean, when you look at the business landscape, how it looks around you everywhere in the world, is there like a long-term solution for business do you, that you believe in that should be, you know, universal for all companies? Companies should strive to create more value than they capture. So be additive to their employees, to the world. Now that's going to be very different for different businesses. So I think it's hard to say universal across that. But I do really, I'm quite optimistic in that as new generations come up and you know go into the workforce, like they're shifting these companies from the inside as well to get them to think about the externalities of their business or how they're showing up in the world or accountability for bad managers or people who are, who aren't, you know, treating their colleagues well. So I think that we're, we're on a right path there, but progress is never in a straight line and it requires a lot of diligence and hard work from people who care. So, but just even thinking about the problem, I think is a good thing. So that's my very generic answer. <laughs> I'd love for whoever's listening to this to take a few minutes just to think about that for their sphere of influence. And I'm a big believer that 
you know, even a very small, if you can even leave a very small thing better than you found it, that's an amazing contribution to the world because those add up <laughs> to a much better place. And it can be intimidating if you think about the environment or war or these other things that are so large that outside of maybe a few people in the world, it's impossible to influence them individually. And actually probably impossible for those people too. But you can make the environment a little better and leave it a little better than you found it. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And be there for others and believe in people and all these kind of things. When I look back also, you know, just to some support when it came in a magic moment from somebody then led me to another thread uh, or choice in life and so on that was really important. So all of these kind of support supportive actions that we do and we may, might not be so aware of them are incredibly important for other people but it's very you never know yeah exactly you never you never know and but i see a lot of people now lately being a little bit overwhelmed by as you say everything going on in the world so they almost like they fall back into the track of well what can i do you know in this big complex world i can't do anything and then they kind of retreat back into some kind of their own bubble and just live live their life as if nothing is happening which is not good either so this kind of sense of apathy that is happening lately i think is is a little bit of a of an issue in the world and then people generally express that they feel that they there's a lack of leadership uh, people out there that stand for something true, stand for something that is beyond, you know, three, four years <laughs> that think a little bit more long-term and, and uh, that is guided by some kind of we feeling and not me feeling. Kind of. So that I hear a lot. But Matt, if you would assume that uh, you have all doors open to you and all kinds of resources available to you, what would you innovate or change, you know, whether it's within your sphere or totally outside, if you could, you know, swing a magic wand? I mean, I guess the good news is that I do feel that. <laughs> You know, we're lucky that our company is not capital constrained. We have lots of resources to invest in things. And so, yeah, go to the automatic home page. You'll see what we're working on. We're working on podcasting with Pocket Cast. Working on journaling with Day One. Working on social networking with Tumblr. So we're trying to create more open alternatives to everything else that's out there. You, know, you can use Apple Podcast or one of these other proprietary things. But, you know check out Pocket Cast. <laughs> and we try to like make it really user-friendly and give you lots of controls and have this really cool queuing system. And we're trying to create some really fun features there, like uh, per episode ratings or guest tagging. So you can like see me across lots of different podcasts. You can just kind of click on that and then sort of branch out. So there's a lot of stuff that's, that's fun there. What makes me very excited is that all of our products, even things like WordPress, which I've been working on now for 19 years, I'm probably the unhappiest WordPress user in the world. Like when I use it, I see so many things that could be better. It's just the hard part for me is choosing what to work on. So I like literally all of our products, I feel like are, are very early stages. <laughs> and even ones that are very popular. Sometimes I'm like, this is terrible. How does anyone use it? But like, so we're using that energy, try to channel into making it better and available to more people. So if you could uh, give one piece of advice to leaders uh, today that are listening now, what would that be? Uh, know thyself. You know, not original at all. <laughs> Hundreds of years old, but really important. And so when I see folks act in a way which is not an integrity with themselves, like they, they would rather not show up that way. They would, would rather not you know, yell at the colleague or make a decision based out of fear or something like It's usually because there's something going on in themselves that they haven't fully tapped into or understood. And if you could give a piece of advice to, to yourself, maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago, you pick, what would that be? 
I would probably, uh, I really used to think of myself as like a brain in a vat and like that my body didn't matter, exercise didn't matter, nothing, all that diet didn't matter. (laughs) And so, you know, at some points that catches up to you. Luckily in your 20s, you can kind of eat whatever junk, pizza and Mountain Dew, (laughs) and I was able to get through and survive. Now, you know, I'm 38 now. So these things are a lot more important. And for my peak mental performance, I feel like it's really important to be healthy of a body. And there's actually a really good book by, I believe the author's name is John Medina. It's called Brain Rules. I bought this book, like, perfect. I get to, like, learn things that'll help my brain. And the first chapter was exercise. I was like, what? What is this? Looking <laughs> for, like, memory techniques or, like, ways to study or read faster or things like that. But that was really his very first thing. And the research supports that. So I think even, like, things taking, taking a walk. Uh, if I'm ever I'm feeling very vexed or stuck, literally just walking around the block can sometimes unblock me. So it's funny because all of these things are very simple, very accessible, but really hard to remind yourself of. <laughs> I think just as often when I've been really vexed, I'll just like, you know, stare at my computer and type a lot or <laughs> do something else that's like less of a healthy thing when really I should just go out and take a walk. And and in this period of your life now, are you st- back to traveling a lot to meet your colleagues and, and cooperators around the world? I was just in Europe for about a month. You know, we had our, our WordCamp Europe. There's this thing called WordCamps, which are volunteer organized WordPress events that happen all over the world. And this year's Europe was in Porto, 2,300 people showed up and it was awesome. I really enjoyed like being able to like see the community in person again. Although we've famously been distributed and remote since we started, a key part of our ingredient was always getting together. And you could even feel like we have this thing called contributor day where you like you sign up or you show up the day early and you like learn how to contribute to some part of WordPress. Maybe a translation or maybe marketing materials or maybe code or maybe support forms or whatever it is. And we had 800 people show up. <laughs> it's like a third of the conference. The By far the most, we actually ran out of food. <laughs> like we just weren't anticipating that many people. But I think it showed that like, you know, humanity is ready to connect again. <laughs> so it's funny, I, I preached being remote for like 17, 18 years was like definitely the thing I was saying. I even have a podcast called Distributed. Then it kind of happens. And now I'm kind of preaching like, hey, we need to see each other a little bit more. Still still live and work wherever you want. But like, let's get together a few times a year and really connect as humans. Yeah, that's incredibly, incredibly important. You know, I was thinking also about Audrey Cap- Capital, your investment and research company. What is the focus of, of, of uh, that part of your business? You know, Audrey, it's named for Audrey Hepburn, has always been a big inspiration to me, like her grace and just way of philanthropy and everything she did for the world. And I guess it was that, you know, Automatic does a lot of stuff. And in fact, we make investments through Automatic. So if there's anything in the realm of Automatic, I'll I'll invest there. But I have a lot of other interests and things that Automatic would never do or never invest in, especially being so deeply entrenched in technology. I have a lot of friends who start companies. And so Audrey Capital just became a way to pay it forward. You know, I got a lot of support as a 20-year-old kid from Houston moving out. So once I had the resources to start investing myself, I both want to invest in friends, but also like just sometimes I'll randomly cold email <laughs> the developers of an app I like. You know, I surf the app store sometimes or like I'll, I'll just read Product Hunt or like randomly reach out, invest on things on AngelList. And that's also just trying to like equalize it a little bit. 
(laughs) Again, there's no reason anyone should have listened to me or been nice to me or anything when I was first getting my start, but they were. And so if I can pay it forward, that's great. And, you know, the next the next me, 18 years from now or whatever, hopefully we'll do the same. And that sort of cycle of generosity can continue. I think it's a huge part of why Silicon Valley is successful, actually, is because, you know, the angel networks, everything, invest money and you invest it kind of knowing it could fail, you know? And I've definitely invested in the same entrepreneur two or three times for different companies. And that's, that's part of the beauty of it. Of course, like you're learning, you're being high integrity, all that's really key. It's not necessarily about a monetary return. There's so much passion and energy in you, and, and we all have 24 hours, so uh, it's impressive how much you can be involved in. But on the other hand, if you do it from a passionate place, then it gives you energy. So, What do you think is the most important thing for companies to focus on right now? The culture of the company. And by the culture, you know, that's a very hand-wavy word, but I mean like literally, how are people communicating with each other? What do they do when no one's looking? Uh, how do your expenses work? Like, how are your company processes? Are these like slowing people down? Are they making them more effective? How are you communicating and collaborating? Are people getting the right onboarding, the right training? Are you hiring from a truly like global audience? You know, the best people in the world, not just the best people who happen to live in San Francisco. <laughs> you know, like, I, I think that's the most important things because that's kind of the, it's the thing that makes the things, you know, so automatic itself is a product. And we make all these other products, including WordPress.com, WooCommerce, et cetera. But ultimately, if automatic itself is not functioning well, downstream, all these other things will fail. So that's why as a CEO, I've always spent about a third of my time on either hiring or internal people stuff, you know, making sure our existing folks are happy and productive and you know, doing the best work of their careers. I can't think of anything more important in my job. And it's why I've always carved out that time really from the very beginning. Do you have roles that typically are called HR, even if I I don't understand why we even call it human resource, right? Because that says something too, right? But do you have these kind of roles uh, or, you know, people leading the culture somehow, or is it like embedded and, and lived rather? We do have HR. We, I think we do, we do have fun with titles. (laughs) Like, you know, you want it to be known, but sometimes I think we might have redefined HR. I forget what we redefined it as. I think words are really important. So, for example, I'm really opposed to the term headcount (laughs) when people are talking about people. You know, like, let's call it people or engineers or whatever it is. Like, not like headcount, which is like such a weird word. The interesting thing about automatic is that that team, which is one of the the one that really gives automatic its magic, uh, reports directly into me. So that's not, we haven't layered that with other executives or anything. And I spend a lot of time with them. We're lucky to have fantastic leaders there. Laura McLeese, Anisha, like, so that team is very empathetic and strong. But our approach there is very much like we try to have generalists, you know, some specialists for things like payroll and benefits, but like really generalists. And then think of a ratio. So about 100 to 1, 100 colleagues or employees to like one of these HR wranglers, (laughs) as we call them. And what they try to do is they really try to go around those hundred people, like kind of loop between them and just have conversations and learn about how they're doing, what's going on, look for patterns in teams, see if there's people leaving a team, if that's bad managers, like kind of like, like constantly, like kind of observing the machine of automatic, just making a little tweak here, a little tweak there, maybe suggesting a coaching here or a training class here. And so it's very much like a, a game of inches, if you will, to use a football metaphor, but like it's, it's a lot of small tweaks 
But this adds up to something that can be really positive. Learning and development is definitely something that's been on my mind the past few years a lot. And what is the most important aspect in terms of learning development for your team? So you need the two extremes. You need some sort of training and vocabulary that literally everyone in the company goes through. So that there is a common vernacular, a way of working, of communicating, of operating that's consistent throughout the entire company. And that's really, it's important that everyone's the same. And then on the other side of the barbell, I think you need very, very individualized uh, coaching. We actually have a benefit inside Automatic where outside of it's these internal consultants, but everyone in the company has access to coaching sessions, you know, where they work with someone who's not their manager, not their boss, not their anything, and just talk about their goals, what they're working on, their, their insecurities, whatever it is. And this person is just for them. We pay them, but they work for whoever they're coaching, their, their mentee, I guess, or their coaching. That barbell approach, I feel like, has been helpful. I think that we, the coaching program, I think, is pretty good. I think we need to do a lot better job on that thing that everyone goes through. <laughs> and I think a lot about like uh, whether that's radical candor or like the different frameworks that we could get more of the company to think about and to work on. And just also how we teach people who are new. You know, we hired 700 people last year. How we teach them some of the lore and history of automatic, like why and how do we do things the way we do. Like there's usually a reason or a story or something that happens. Even like people knowing all of our products, I would say is not like 100%. So like something that sort of teaches them more about what makes automatic a little bit different. Much like you, you know, when growing up in Texas, I took two years of Texas history. So we kind of need like the automatic history. So one, that we don't repeat mistakes or things we've done in the past. But two, so like we have that shared, yeah, shared kind of substrate of um, that we can discuss. And we have kind of a shared understanding for how we can collaborate together. Just a final question to you. What do you think the world needs most at this time? I've been obsessed with this movie that just came out called Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. I highly recommend it. And I just watched it for kind of the second and a half time. I watched the last half for, I guess, the third time. And I was like crying the whole time. <laughs> it's so good. But I think part of the, without giving anything away, I think part of the message, like, we just need to be kind to each other, is so key. Everyone's going through struggles. Everyone's going through something, including people who we might perceive as evil or bad, or there's something in their life that led them to that, that pathology. You know, maybe an environment which was really violent or didn't love them or they didn't, they didn't get something. And so having the space to hold kindness for all living beings, I think would probably be a good start <laughs> to improving things. Thanks for saying that. I, I have this very strong belief uh, that uh, kindness, in a way, is, is actually the, the highest form of intelligence. Because if you start from the kind intention, then you, you can't go wrong somehow, if your intention is good. Well, you're going to have to check out this movie if you haven't yeah. seen it yet. Yeah. Let me know what you think. I will. So thanks for being on the show. Thanks for uh, sharing. And to find out more, you will find links and show notes on corporateunplugged.com. Thanks for listening to the show. To make it easy for you to find and listen to this show again, subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And please share this episode with one person you know would benefit from hearing it. And please rate and review this podcast if you enjoyed it. I'm Vesna Luca and you have been listening to Corporate Unplugged. Until next time, live with purpose and remember to unplug. Ciao. Ciao, Matt.